0: Welcome to Watch, a podcast by The Ocean Race. A chance this week to hear from somebody new to The Ocean Race, Francesca Klapcich, who sailed with Turn the Tide on Plastic in the last edition, her first lap of the planet. But as you'll hear in this interview, she's also building plans for the future. And hopefully we'll be representing an Italian team in the next edition. Now, we recorded this interview before the one that we released with Shabby Fernandez, which is why Francesca Klapcic had a little question for Shabby that I posed to him in last week's episode. Plus, there's many more in our back catalogue for you to enjoy. And if you do enjoy this series, you can leave us a comment below as to who you want us to talk to next. Plus, you can like and subscribe to our channels for many more interviews to come. Enjoy. The next edition of the Ocean Race is going to finish in Genoa in Italy. The 38,000-mile journey around the planet will finish with a final leg in the Mediterranean. This has already got navigators worried about the potential problems that such a leg could throw up. But for Francesca Klapcic, an Italian, a two-time Olympian no less, this is a chance to realise a bit of a special dream. An Italian boat winning the race and finishing in Italy. So, Francesca, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, I know you're thinking about the next edition. When, when did you hear that the finish line, the final destination, was going to be in your home country?
1: Um, first of all, hi, everybody. Thank you for <laughs> uh, inviting me to, to join. Uh, it was for sure like uh, an amazing, an amazing thing. Uh, being an Italian and having the race finish in italy it's uh, it's incredible uh it's kind of like a dream <laughs> um i'm not um uh, specifically from Genova, like my hometown is kind of in the other side of the boot but uh it doesn't matter I think uh being an italian it doesn 't really matter where actually your town is but it's it, it's awesome that race end up in in italy it's not gonna be an easy leg. like uh it's gonna be a an incredible challenge uh from the start to the finish uh, i'm not saying that just the mediterranean will be a big challenge i think uh the full leg from from the nag to to genova will be really hard but um yeah i remember it was uh just after the ocean summit in in genova and uh, there was the unveiling of a, of the grand finale in Genoa, and uh, yeah, it was it was incredible. Like I think it was a massive work, uh, really nice job done from the from the mayor that, that loved the sport, and it was an incredible team effort to to bring to bring the finish in, in Italy
0: because like you say, everybody wants to have that finish. I mean, you remember from the last edition, sailing into the Hague, just how special it is, that final finish line and the energy, the spectators. So I know that you want to put a team in for the next edition, flying the Italian flag. Obviously at the moment with you know the, the, the lockdown and the virus situation, um, plans have obviously had to be adjusted, but can you give us an update as to what it is you're trying to achieve?
1: But for sure, it's, uh, there is a massive passion behind that. <laughs> um, it will be a dream, actually, come true, to, to be able to have an Italian flag, bold finishing the race in Italy. That will be, for me, incredible. And, and having all the Italian people at the finish line um, in the city of Genova, it will be like a, an incredible dream. For sure, there is so much more to do before that. <laughs> um, the actual situation with the virus is not really helping. Uh, I think it's not just the problem of like, our team. I think it's a worldwide problem. Everyone needs to face with, a, with the incredible economic uh, problem that, that the virus brought to us. Especially in Italy, uh, the country has been hit really hard. and. And for sure, the, the restart, it seems to be pretty hard. Um, we are trying to switch from like a phase one to phase two, where actually the changes are not so dramatic. So uh, maybe little shops or, or small workers can start to, to work again, but in the big picture, it's not a massive change in economic. So the project is there. We are working really hard every day to to navigate the situation, to understand if we can talk with someone, when, when it's the right moment to do it, and how to approach uh, actually companies that have been uh, struggling the last couple of months. So I would say that three or four months ago, like it was a little bit easier. Now there is a bit much more to to navigate but. For sure, we are not giving up and there is there are still a few months to go. So we're working hard.
0: <laughs> and it's not the first time that you've sailed with an Italian flag on your back, if indeed you do manage to get there with an Italian team in the next edition. Two Olympic Games, uh, the Laser Radial, and then in Rio 2016 for the 49er FX. They saw you crewing and this was the last you know, the last Olympic campaign that you've done, you know, I mean, you might get back into it. But I remember you coming into the Olympic Games with quite a strong track record. You'd won the Worlds in 2015. And even before that, with a lot of the other events, with the Sailing World Cup events, you were never finishing outside the top 10, really strong performances. How did the Rio performance for you, finishing fifth, how did that match up with what you wanted to achieve?
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, for sure was not the performance that we wanted in Rio. We came from a really, really two good seasons. Uh, you were, you, you're right. We were ended up so many times in the on the podium, and uh, yeah, like the other competitors were were. I'm not saying scared, but they knew that we were always having, like, good performance and never give up. Uh, with Julia, was, like, a, a really, like, uh, special team. Like, uh, we were pushing each other so hard and uh, with our massive differences. So <laughs> that was the funniest part of our team. Like, we are so different for so many things. But at the same time, we were, like, completing each other on the boat where – I was hundred percent focused on the on the trimming, on the speed of the boat, on the like the physical part of the boat. And she was able to to trust me hundred percent and just look around and, and and choose where to go and 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 where to tuck or jive. So uh yeah, like it was probably the best four years of my Olympic career with her, because it was fun out of the water really intense sometimes a really Italian fire going on (laughs) inside the boat (laughs) but then our relationship was so strong that actually everything that was happening on the water was not really like bringing any problem outside the water we were able to like scream to each other the worst thing ever in Italian and then uh coming back ashore and being like all right whatever let's go for a beer (laughs) And, and that for me was, was like, was massive. Um, for sure, we were both disappointed in Rio. We, we get there with like a high chance to come back with a medal. I think we had everything in place to do that. And we underperformed. Um, for sure, uh, the four balls that end up before us had an incredible performance. And they deserved to be there way more than us. Uh, We start the series way too conservative, kind of being scared to be over the line or, you know, like all that kind of mindset for sure is not working. If you want to go and win a medal, you need to go all for it. Ended up fifth or ended up 10th at the end of the game. It doesn't change so much, but ended up in the top three. It's changed a lot. and. And then for sure, like that hunger that I have after the games, it was, um, I think both of us dealt with that in a bit of a different way. Um, I was happy to get away from the Olympic scene and try to focus on different stuff. Um, for a few months, I just put, I have to be honest, I just put myself in front of everything, my family, the people that, you know, I loved. And try to reconnect with all the people that actually you lose in the Olympic campaign because you're so focused on your goal. And, and then I've been, I don't know, I've been lucky enough to be in the right moment, in the right spot to, to get a chance to, to do the last ocean race. And that was a
0: game changer. You go from two-time Olympian, dinghy sailor, one of the best out there to somebody who has raced around the world in uh, the ocean race so where did that come about was it something like you said you'd finished rio and okay what's new i need a new challenge or was it always something in the back of your mind that you were thinking about
1: in fact to be honest it's always been there like i have i still remember when i was a kid having like photos on, in my room uh, it was still like the vibrant, but it didn't change so much like the big waves the southern oceans and um, when I was like 15 I was like oh maybe you know I, I could be like out there with like a mini 6.5 and my, pa- like, my mom was like oh my god like <laughs> try to keep sailing dinghy at, at least we know that like you come back home every day you know i uh, okay, but we will see. And um, it's always been there. Like my parents, uh, yeah, I kind of born in the water. They had a, a little cruise, like a sailing cruise boat. And we were spending all the summers on the boat, in the sailing club with my friends. Uh, I was always surrounded by like sailing boats. It was not actually like love of first sight. <laughs> I was so much more into like skiing and trying to do all different sports and sailing was just one of them. And then, and then, yeah, probably like my brain just switched a little bit and I was, okay. Like I was watching these Olympic games and the TV. And yeah, I still remember like telling my mom and my dad being like, okay. um, I think one day I want to be there and yeah, it would be awesome if I can win a medal, and they were like, um, okay, do it, <laughs> and so then from there, I kind of tried to find a way to, to be at the Olympics, and in the up, that sailing was, I don't know, in that moment, maybe the, the, the sport that I was doing better, it uh, was just probably, I saw an opportunity out there being like, oh, okay, I can like Olympic sailing, and Go to the Olympics but like ocean sailing was was there it was uh, we were doing little cruising going from Trieste to the Croatia and and my dad was like let me help me in the boat and sometimes we end up like in storms or <laughs> in big waves and uh, my mom like throwing throwing up in the bucket and and my dad like laughing and we were just having fun and but for sure like 20 years ago, it was, yeah, For there was, like, the example of, like, Maiden and 4 and too, you know, like, women being out there. But for me, being, like, Italian kids in a country where, like, the ocean sailing is not so developed and where there are not so many opportunities, like, in other countries, it was really hard to imagine myself one day out there. And it was more like, wow, well, yeah. If I work hard, if I push hard, if I find the right people to support me, I I can get to the Olympics and doing really good. Probably it will be really hard to get out there because the opportunities are just not there. And then in 2014, when when I was following like SEA and I was actually seeing people coming from my same background, like I remember like Caroline or or Annie, or Sally, or, and they were like, okay, they did Olympic sailing, they've been to the Olympic, really high performance, and they find their spot out there, and they can do it. When they won the leg in in L'Oreal, I was like, okay, like, we can be out there, we can do this. And there are opportunities, if you are good enough, if you're strong enough, if you are lucky enough sometimes, you can be there. And it was a massive game changer, I would say, not just me, but in all the women sailing movements, because we saw that it was possible, that people with different backgrounds can be there and perform really, really high. So, yeah,
0: it was, it was great. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a misconception for a lot of people that imagine that there's almost... You know, almost like the sort of football or, or um, you know, those big leagues where the players, the sailors are all lined up and the teams come along and just pick people. But actually, you've still got to make some calls. I mean, you might, you go, oh, right, I've been to the games twice. I've seen that there are females out there. The rule comes in, which incentivizes females to be on board the boats or at least mixed teams to be on board the boats. How do you still capitalize on that? Did you have to knock on doors or did somebody call you?
1: Well, <laughs> there was a bit, lo- a bit going on in 2000, 2000- between 2016 and 2017, um, I had a few calls from like, uh, an Italian guy that uh, was trying to, to see if he was able to, to do like an Italian team or at least having a double flag board and they were willing to have at least one Italian woman in, in the team or at least in the regatta trying to, to show that we, yeah, we come from a small country, but we are able to do that. <laughs> and yeah, he called me and it was like, well, we were thinking about you because your CV and your background, you know, like your character, pretty like easy and happy person, <laughs> And uh what do you think about it? And I was like, (laughs) well, uh, I think yes, (laughs) without even thinking one second, you know, like I was like, yeah, let's let's do that. And then at the end, unfortunately that didn't happen, uh like money wise, most of the time that's that's the problem. But um it was really nice because it was not just like okay, it didn't happen. Bye, see you later. It was really like introduced me to, to other people in in the Ocean Race in other team. I've been introduced to the Magenta Project. I went to Madeira sailing with the GC and meet more people that had maybe the same experience that I had. And yeah, and then I had the chance to 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 contact D and being like okay, just send like the CV and we will see, like we will run some trial. Let's see if, if we can have you at the trials. And I remember sending the CV to the email and being like, waiting, waiting, you know, when you when you refresh the email. And, <laughs> and, and there was one moment where I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe I, I, maybe I don't get an answer back. You know, maybe they already find other people. And then I remember getting this email being like, sorry for the late time, but, you know, we are, like, running really fast with the team, and uh, it would be awesome if you can be <clears throat> in Lisbon and, and, and try for the team. And, and yeah, and, and I was, like, okay, <laughs> I packed my bag and just, you know, off to Lisbon, and, and, yeah, we did that trial with the team, and when we came back ashore, I was, like, okay, well, I was ready to pack again my bag and go home and wait, you know, like and like, okay, we'll see what happens. And, and at the end, I never came back home. Like uh, they, I think they were happy to have me on board and maybe they they saw some strength. And I tried to be like as prepared as I could, like physic physical wise. I was working really hard in the gym to. To gain a little bit of weight and be strong enough and, and show that I can do it, you know. Like uh, I remember with Liz Wortley one day ashore, and the, uh, we 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 needed to put like the 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 B antenna on top of the mast, and I never been on top of like a sixty-five foot mast. So she was like, "Okay, we should put this up there." Like, okay, someone wants it. I was like, oh. Okay, let's do that. Okay, I can go. <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure if I can actually do this, and then they just put me up, and I looked down. And I was like, Oh my god, it's pretty high, and but I was like so hungry to like learn more and ask more, and yeah, it was a great opportunity, and and probably I yeah. Sometimes it's also about luck and and being there and have the right people that you contact the right people the right people make you meeting other people and they can see something in you and it doesn't need to be necessary like ocean racing experience it can be something else like the work ethic that we had in the olympic sailing it's it's pretty intense like we are able to to work for one goal for 4 years in a row so many hours per day with just one focus and i think that ethic can be switch in some other
0: situation. So you join the team, you get to the start line, obviously soaking up the atmosphere and everything. And I imagine for all of the sailors, you know, you're building to that first start, that moment where the race begins. You've done the prologues, you've done the press. I really want to get your take on a little incident that happens just after the start in Alicante (laughs) where we have Turn the Tide on Plastic Sun Hunkai Scallywag, a rivalry that will continue all the way around the world with Sun Hunkai Scallywag heavily defending their windward side and forcing you guys and themselves into the spectator fleet and I think you miss the spectator boat um, well, I'd, I mean, how close was it? What was what was going on from your point of view? When did you realize, oh, this is this is what aggressive sailing is going to be like? Well,
1: I think it was it was the closest call to be like out from Alicante and actually need to be- go back to Alicante because yeah. we were destroying the boat. So. <laughs> In that moment, everything like happened so fast. Um, I was streaming the main. D was driving, and I remember like being pushed against to the to the spectator boat. And I was like, "Okay, what, what what's going on?" And, and D driving, being like, "He's the main. He's the main. Like he's everything." Trying to like have like the full control of the boat. And I don't know exactly how close we we end up to that spectator ball, it was nothing. It was actually nothing. And just after like five or 10 minutes, like the adrenaline was crazy high, like for a little while. And when everything set up a little bit, we just look at each other and we're like, oh my God. Like, (laughs) Like people is worried when, people are worried when we are out there in the middle of nowhere, this is like the crazy thing going on. When actually you are out there in the nowhere, yeah, you can end up hitting stuff in the water or, but yeah, actually it's a pretty safe place for the boat. When you are so close to other boats or really close to the, to the coast, it, it's so tricky. Yeah. and But that, it's true. It, it gave me like perspective of how... Performance based the race was, how hard the teams were pushing. For sure, we were the team with less experience in the fleet, especially the beginning. So we saw how, like, in just a few miles, like, Tom Fong and Maffer were just like faster and with a perfect setup. And we were like still, you know, understanding what we were doing. And that was a big, big difference, especially in the first few legs where. We, we were paying our our unexperience and that the performance was always there. We were always pushing the ball like 100%. And for sure, at the beginning of the race, our 100% was a little different than like Maffre or Dom Fong 100%. But it was still really hard for everybody, no matter if you are the one trying to win the race or if you are the one in the back. Like it's really, really, really... Hard and and high performance based.
0: Did that experience match up with what people had told you uh, ocean offshore racing was like? Because I'm thinking to leg two, where once again, Sun Hunkai Skellywag, for the final 10 days, I think it was, of that leg, two boats with still, you know, a thousand miles to go are within sight of each other the whole time, one boat length here, one boat length there. If I was describing ocean racing to anybody, I'd say, well, you leave the dock, you don't see anybody else for weeks, and then you arrive. But this was so different.
1: Yeah, I remember most of the legs, we were actually doing like tactical and strategic sailing against other boats. It was way closer to the, the sailing style that I was used to instead of what I was imagining. Like, you're right. Like, people imagine that you have your routing, you have your navigator, is telling you where to go, what to do, what the number should be. We start here, see you later in 15 days, 20 days. <laughs> it's not that way. It depends, of course, on the legs, but mm, it was a really, really close addition. I would say, like, the, the speed and, and it was really big matching be, between every, everybody. Um, we saw then at the end, like the most experience uh, had a bit of like leverage compared to other teams, but it, it was really close. It was really close. I was actually, uh, it was yesterday. I was yesterday, I was uh, looking again to the um, tracking from the leg, from Hong Kong to Oakland. Uh, just, uh, I'm just trying to study more like navigation routing, And, and I think it was like super interesting that. And when you see like, after so many days, after the doldrums that can really like messed up everything, they both finished in like from the first to the last ending in Oakland, there were less than two hours. Mm. And the first four, they were inside like first five inside the twenty minutes. It's unbelievable, like the level of of the fleet and sometimes how you race. Sometimes we were actually, yes, okay, we have the computer down below. We know what we have to do, but we have another four boats around us that we can actually see. We we can see them eating, we can see them like smiling. So let's let's stay to the group and try to sail stay, stay fast and, and, and be there. It's going to be enough one meter on the finish line. You didn't need to be 24 hours.
0: <laughs> you mentioned how close those finishing margins were in Auckland as well that you said, you know, you were six minutes off a podium in Auckland and it seemed like quite a few times you seemed to lose out on those margins. You know, you look at the score sheet and you go, okay, you know, you finished here, you finished here. But actually, you were finishing just off the big points, just behind this boat. I wonder what the atmosphere was like on board, because Turn the Tide on Plastic was a little bit of a different composition to a lot of the other boats. It was quite young, both in terms of experience, but also age. Um, And I I wonder, how did you as a team, what were those moments like? Did everybody, did you have to pick anybody up or were people ready for the sort of the challenges of the race and actually, you know, you could rely on yourself without needing anyone else? I think when you finish so close to do a better result, everyone was
1: pissed. (laughs) It's... It's it's normal. Like we are we are competitors. We we are out there because we want to win and we want to perform. So for sure, it was not just like uh, smiling and and hugging, but at the same point we were like we were pretty close team. And at the end, we were always end up together and analyzing, debriefing, understand what went good, what went wrong, and what we can do better. Uh, There was a massive work behind from like. I remember like bledding doing like amazing job with the numbers and and try to push always like to get better to get better and when you show numbers when you show data it's that's it it's not that i'm thinking that something is better it's a number it's just saying that just do it and do it better and and that was that was great and we tried to change few stuff and we tried to 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 try to be better every time and see if someone else was doing some job on board uh, in a different way that was making us performing better or maybe coming back again to what was the like basic um roles on board and uh for sure like so many different characters so many different like mindsets so many different um like nationalities and that's a massive difference
0: like it's not about you're, you're the language on board
1: yeah it's not just about the communication it's just it's also about how different we are like Take an Italian, take a Swedish, and take an Australian or British. It's not just about the language that they speak, but it's about how we deal with problems, how we deal with stuff, the mindset. It's a bit the culture side. It's not just, oh, yeah. For sure, I, I joined the team that my English was not perfect. was really far away to be perfect. So sometimes it was not easy, the communication, having so many... Uh, English speaking people on board, and when you're tired, when you don't sleep enough, everyone, of course, starts to speak faster or with a different slang. And my brain was also really tired, so my understanding was really hard. And but it's not just about that, it's also about I think D did an incredible job to put together a group of people so different and at the same time so together on working on the same things and that's a really like chapeau to D because it's not an easy thing to do it's it's really easy to just you know be the skipper grab your bunch of best friends and best buddy that you normally sail every year together put them together go out there and do what you normally do all year long or even more, you know, like being British, just pick up another nine British people, kind of same way to think about stuff, same communication, easy. She didn't go through the easy way. She did through a full inclusive way, tried to give opportunities to more people, give opportunities to more country. And, and for me, that was
0: like amazing, amazing. I remember one moment in particular where Turn the Tide on Plastic went from, because we we were in the office, you would always send through the videos, we'd always see, your boat always seemed to be able to put on a, a good smile, a good show, you were making each other very happy. But there was one moment where you capsized, big Chinese jibe. And I remember being so impressed with how quickly you all just gotta gotta get on with it, and suddenly you could see um how the test of a team do you do you remember some of those lockdowns you know those knockdowns what what were they like when you're racing along three seconds later you're over.
1: Well, I remember pretty good. I was on the I was on the main. So then yes. in the video, in the video, I'm the one
0: going to the pedestal. And yeah, yeah. now, uh, now, now, let me pick you up on that one because th- this is. I feel like you should. You know, I, I really want you to educate people here because there were so many people who saw the video and would say things like, "Well, just why are you pulling the main in? Surely you want to ease the main out." Talk us through what you're trying to do there and why it's important.
1: Well, I mean, when you capsize and that's like it's called a Chinese giant, so what happened is you're not just wiping out on the on the, on the side of the boat that you are actually sailing in, but everything like you find everything on the wrong side. so the biggest challenge and the biggest uh, problem that you can have in that situation is actually you don't have. Um, the new runner mm. on. So what happened is like all the load of the rig, of the sails, of the boat is completely like we know nothing that is taking the mast up. So the only priority in that moment is actually to pull the main in and use the mainsail and use the mainsheet and 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 the and the tension on the mainsail to create a say.
0: So that's how actually you try to save the rig. Now, all of this, all of this, it was worth saying is happening when the boat is at 90 degrees. Cause of course the keel is the wrong side. The ballast is the wrong side. The stack is the wrong side. Everything
1: is the wrong side. Like um, it's, it can be pretty dangerous for the people down below. Mm. Uh, Cause everyone that is sleeping in the bunk is get completely like crashed against the, the boat. And I remember, like in that condition, we had a lot of stuck on the back of the boat. So who was sleeping on the on the back bunk? Uh, get kind of smooshed again. Again, the boat with all the stuck in on, on on top. Like, yeah, everyone came on deck, and then I was like, we, one person is missing. Like, <laughs> like, and Elo was down below in the bunk with all the stocking and she was not able to push it you know against that and coming out so <laughs> I remember like need to take her out like it's it's okay until there is no water or other stuff coming in it's okay but it's it's a bit like yeah it's not a good situation to be on but I think we deal with that in a really good way. We actually had a lot of briefing about that. We never We never had it one before, so that was actually the first time we experienced in real life. The only thing that we had is briefing about that. If that happened, main on the handle, like hands on the handle, pull the main in, first thing. And you can hear, I think, from the video, someone from down below being like, main on, main on, main on. And we were already doing it on deck, so. Uh, I think that was a moment where even people from outside when they were seeing us as like the rookies and young bunch of people on the boat, you know, kind of like, okay, they are like, you know, the little kiddos of the race. And I think we showed that actually we had some really like stuff in place safety wise, and protocol wise, we knew what to do. And, and I think that was a, a big boost for everyone because we, yeah, of course you lose time on that kind of maneuver, but we didn't lose so much time because we actually deal with that
0: pretty fast and pretty efficient. Well, that's the team. And then how about yourself? You go down into the Southern Ocean. You haven't been there before. I mean, I imagine it, and that's as close as I want to get. Would, did, you, did you surprise yourself by finding it easier than you thought, or did you have to dig quite deep?
1: Well, it was hard. <laughs> I remember that, like, um, especially on the second southern of the so from, um, from Auckland to Tashayi, uh, like the first time when we went from Cape Town to Melbourne, uh it was hard like really bad sea state um but at the end the the wind was not so strong we kind of had like moments in in that lag where we were on deck with without the jacket and i was like well that's a pretty weird you know southern ocean experience <laughs> but that was completely different on the second time like from from Auckland to itajai was uh Was really really windy from the beginning. We we started in Auckland and it was already windy in Auckland, and it was hard. I I remember like down below was horrible, and it's yeah on deck it's cold it's kind of mir- miserable, <laughs> but at least you see what is coming. So you see the waves, you see uh, the person that is driving kind of like able to anticipate what's going on what the movement of the ball will be when you are down below it's just horrible it's so hard to sleep everything is wet Um, just to put on all your stuff you take ages because you need to always grab something with one hand and with the other hands trying to dress and and it's hard like i think i get I get really deep down on my thoughts and yeah, I had for sure hard moments. Like, I remember like, I don't know. I remember Elo (laughs) uh, helping me a lot. And that was, it was really like, it was great. You know, like she kinda knew when I had my, maybe my moments and I was a little bit overwhelmed of, you know, all the shake and all the bouncing around. So especially down below and, Sometimes she was just coming with a really nice hot chocolate and be like, you know, lift you up. <laughs> it's almost over. <laughs> and then, like, we, yeah, we arrived at Cape Horn. We ran Cape Horn and the rig problem mm. came up. And yeah, it was another, like, really down moment where we were like, oh, come on, really? Like, it was already hard for 11 days. Why, why are you making it even harder now to get to Brazil? And I, I think I knew that it was, it was a hard leg, you know, before leaving. I think it ended up being harder than what I thought. And yeah, for sure the situation also on Scalagwag, when we knew about fish, that, that for sure was not making anything easier for anyone we had a really bad time on board and, and you start to go with the thoughts in so many places and it's hard, it's hard for everyone because we knew that it was hard for them but then you stop thinking one second and you're like, my God, like it's really hard for everyone that is waiting for us ashore and you never stop thinking about that, you are so focused on going fast performance try to sleep, eat, recover, and repeat. That, yeah, sometimes you send an email home, like being, okay, we are all good, bye, see you. And in that moment, you just think about how many people are at home, waiting for you to just come back.
0: And it's like, oh,
1: we are making, we are making them having
0: a really hard time. <laughs> Did you ever get close to stopping?
1: Ah, uh, no no never <laughs> I'm I'm a hard quitter <laughs> Sally can confirm during these days in quarantine I'm like I'm riding a lot my bike in my like garage cave with this like trainer sometimes there are these like three hours bicycle she just came down and she's like what well, what are you doing? Why, you know, you're already two hours there. Why are you just done? Like, it's okay. You know, I'm like, well, I'm not going to give up. Like the training session is three hours. I'm going to do three hours. She's like, okay. <laughs> um, it's, it's really hard. Like I, f- I feel, yeah, I feel bad. I feel disappointed when I quit on something and I don't make it done. So yeah.
0: Okay, so I've got a question for you then that I put to Ken Reed some time ago. When you're in those situations, like you described in the Southern Ocean, where the conditions are atrocious and frightening, do you prefer to be on deck, getting cold, getting wet, but at least you are able to have some sort of control? You are, you are having to work but you have something to give or do you prefer being in your bunk knowing that some really good people are in control for you? Where, where do you prefer to be in those really peak frightening moments?
1: I mean, comfort wise, <laughs>
0: I prefer to be on deck.
1: Oh, ah, okay. Because it's like, You can't see what's going on. If you're going to hit a really massive wave, you know that you just grab yourself somewhere and it's gonna be okay. And comfort-wise down below is just horrible. Uh, Trust-wise, when I was going off watch, I was going off watch. And I never, never, never had one moment when I was like, oh my God, what are they doing, you know? Are they doing the right thing or what, what, what's, what's happening? And we were like wiping out or, you know, like it's normal. Like every watch, at least someone was wiping out. If you don't, it, you probably, you're not pushing hard enough. And but it was okay. I was like, okay. Then you were hearing like the winches, easing sheets, and then, you know, pulling sheets on again. And I was like, okay, they're good. <laughs> <laughs> but like the trust was always always there, always there. When you're down below, you just like end up like <laughs> really launching in the bunks or if you're preparing your meal, it's just like, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> and the toilet is not comfortable
0: either. But, yeah, yeah. We, don't, we don't have to go there. We don't have to talk we about don't the have toilet. To go there. No, yeah. we'll just leave that one <laughs> well away. Um, So the race continues, you guys get better and better and i think one really big moment in terms of performance was that that leg from itajai to newport where the first third i think of the leg you guys were in the lead and taking risks as well navigationally you're saying well we got a bit of a risk but we can head a little bit further out you know to the east we can keep pushing we can get a little bit more um No, none of the teams at the time, and I totally understand why, none of the teams wanted to tell us how you make the 65 go fast. Was there something that you were changing? How did you sail the boat differently as the race progressed? I think we just learned the
1: boat. In that that leg, I was not on board because it was the only leg that I was off. Uh, We were doing some rotation and i remember leaving newport like you know being would be like okay like guys just you know just do what you know how to do and like you know of course be safe out there and you know <laughs> come to pick me up in europe <laughs> <laughs> and and i think like the team learned so much like we were unexperienced at the beginning Mm-hmm. Uh, not so many people on board had other uh, Volvo Ocean Race experience in the past. What well, was Martin and for sure D, Liz and, and and LOD. But I would say like even talking with, with Sally and with other SCA uh, team member, um, when they were sailing in, in 2014, 2015, they were like, it was so different compared to the last time. In terms of conditions. In terms of condition and in terms of performance, like mm. they they heard so many times that the goal was actually like to finish the race and you know be there. That it's bad when you put that stuff in your head, and yeah. it's there. It's in your head. So as soon the conditions are hard or you need to actually give that a little step further you always take a step back being okay, but you know, we need to be safe or we need to like, and I think with Turn the Tide, we've been able to do that step. Fine, we need to be safe, but we are more than capable to push hard the same as the other guys. We took longer, yeah, of course we took longer. I remember the legs from Cape Town to Melbourne where uh, uh, we took the north routing to try to stay in less wind. And that was not just a performance decision. Sure. It was a safety decision. No one of that of us never been out there in Southern Ocean in such a bad condition with the front moving so fast. And yeah, that was the call in that moment. Then we ended up in Auckland, you know, in the Southern Ocean, pushing hard, jibing on the ice limit, and jibing pretty good, <laughs> and know what to do. We, Our performance just rise during the race, and I think actually the results were not reflecting what we were doing in the water, and that was sometimes so frustrating. We end up so many times close to the podium, and it was like, I think we deserve that and it's not like not being humble, it's just being realistic. And when you have other teams coming to you and being like, you guys, like, great job, you know? And it was truly, it was not just something that you tell to someone. You don't need to tell them. <laughs> so when it was coming also from other teams, like, yeah, uh, uh, yeah we know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting talking, uh, hearing you discuss this and talking about it in a way that is, um, you seem to have an appreciation and an understanding of that leadership role, hearing you talk about Dee Kafari and uh, Nico Lundvin, Brian Thompson, the Navigators. And of course, after the race, you, as we were saying at the beginning, you're there at the back of a Maxi 90, skippering this boat, winds have changed. You've got your, your old teammate, uh, uh, Julia Conti on board. You've got Sally Barker on board helming. Is that where you want to be? I mean, do you like that skipper role now? If we see you again in the next edition, as you're trying to be, is it going to be there?
1: Uh, I, I can't say that I didn't like it. It's a big <laughs> challenge. <laughs> it's a big challenge and it's, it's a lot of responsibility. For sure, we, we didn't raise Anything close to what the ocean race is, or it was like a super coastal stuff and like completely different uh event, but you end up making like making calls like you know who is a bit more experienced, you know who is not you know who need to be down below if some hard condition end up, and you need who you know who who need to be with you on deck, helping you out. And I learned a lot on my own skin. Like, it, it's kind of like, it's easy when you're just a crew member because someone else is t- taking the decision and you can agree or not, but at the end, yeah, you know, like, it's fine. It's, your, it's not your responsibility at the end if something is going wrong. Everyone, everyone is happy and everything is easy when... Everything is going right and everyone is having fun and you're winning race or you're performing good. The hard decision is when things are going bad and you need to make hard calls. And
0: that's, that's a, big, a big learning. So, So with Italy then, being the final destination, for you getting a little bit of a taste of what it's like to lead a team and make some decisions, good, bad, tough, easy. If I could just finish with one question. If you could pick anybody from the last edition, from any team, except anybody that was on board Turn the Tide on plastic. If you could take anybody from any of the other teams and put them onto your boat, sailing for Italy, gonna come in to give you the best chance of coming in with the win at that finish line, who would be the top of your list? Ooh, that's an hard
1: question. <laughs> well, I would say probably someone from, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's a hard question. Never thought about it, but. Uh, I, see,
0: I, I see. I find that amazing because I always play fantasy sailing team yeah. with, uh, with the sailors all the time.
1: I have, I have to be honest. I have a massive respect for Chavi. Hmm. Um, he has like an incredible background I was amazed already when they were sailing the 49er and how they were able to sail the 49er and then of course like Mollisar and Maffre and I love his way to lead a team he's not like like an off the ground leader where make everyone work and uh, he's like working with the team making sure that if the team is working 10 he will work 11 to make it better and yeah I would say that probably Chavi is like a great person and yeah I don't know good sailor or better better person I would say so that's a perfect mix because sometimes yeah there are amazing sailors out there but um, maybe the, the personality is not really uh, what I like sometimes, uh, Chabi is the biggest example. So maybe if I would pick someone, <laughs>
0: I would pick pick him. <laughs> well, that's perfect. That's perfect. We we actually I'm talking to Chabi uh, in a couple of days, so I'll ask him to see whether he's free. Uh, is there anything else? Do you, do you want me to ask him at all? Any other little tricks about the sixty-five? Any questions for Chabi when I talk to him?
1: Uh, for sure. Well, I, I mean they were really fast and really consistent so i would say that's that's also the the second side of picking him up and try to get all the tips
0: <laughs> if you well, if you want any put some in an email and i'll and i'll put them to him on a little bit of a question all right uh, francesca I,
1: I would love to learn like um how he leads teams and mm-hmm. like uh, teams always follow him in a really like um, genuine way, not just because he was a skipper, but because his personality is what just came out. So um, I love how balanced he was in every, like in every interview, in every like things that he talk about. It's just like it's a really nice guy.
0: <laughs> uh, well, uh, not sure,
1: not sure yeah. if he's all the same about me or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I, I don't we'll why. see gonna be just a one-way road
0: <laughs> I'll ask him uh, Francesca, thank you very much um, I can, I'm can. i sure you want to get back out in the water I, I really hope that we get to see an Italian boat with you on it in the de- next edition of the race because I can tell it will be something really special for you
1: we're working hard on that and the passion is there so, finger crossed. <laughs>
0: fingers crossed fingers crossed, alright, we'll speak to you soon
1: Bye, guys. Thank you.